0: Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter, and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjogalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. Thanks very much for tuning into our podcast this week. And our weekly broadcast of Your Health First. And as a reminder, we're on the air every Sunday evening between 7 and 8 p.m. broadcasting out of Houston on our flagship station, 740 KTRH, one of those wonderful, legendary 50,000-watt AM radio stations around the country. And we're heard everywhere else on the iHeartRadio app. Now, For this week's broadcast, I wanted to dedicate it as much as possible to the discussion of a a very, very common, oftentimes misunderstood condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or simply called fatty liver. And on the broadcast this week, I had Dr. Eric Lowitz. He's a world-renowned hepatologist and liver specialist out of San Antonio, Texas. And Eric and I have been colleagues for probably the better part of 20 years, collaborating on research and patient care. And I wanted Eric, who's a very good communicator, he's a very lighthearted person, come on the radio and talk with me about non alcoholic fatty liver disease and some of the research programs we're working on. And then also we have Helen Yuan, our registered dietitian who is at our practice liver specialist of Texas here in Houston and the Texas Medical Center. But for those that are listening now to this podcast, fatty liver disease is nothing to be shrugged off. And what has happened, and for, for some reason, it's the, the connotation of this disease is one of don't worry, Uh, Of course, you're overweight and you're going to have a little bit of a fatty liver. And there never has been a certain level of seriousness applied to it. So you've got people like myself and Eric and other hepatologists around the country and around the world standing on their heads, nearly screaming to say, please give us attention. This is a major public health threat, and the numbers are staggering. In the U.S. alone, 100 million people have fatty liver. 100 million. Do you know how many Yankee stadiums you could fill with that? That is a lot of people. Now, the issue is, why do we care? Well, fatty liver disease is the leading cause of cirrhosis, which is scarring of the liver, leading cause of liver cancer, becoming the number one disease that leads to liver transplant and it reduces the life expectancy in people that have it and so anybody listening to this that is in any way sane would say this is a bad hombre fatty liver disease what do I need to prevent it what do I need to turn it around and this is where we are having some trouble People are very resistant to changing their eating habits. They're very resistant to exercising. They're very resistant to uh, not eating out. They're resistant to cooking at home. They're resistant to not, at the drop of the hat, order takeout for their family when they get home from work because they are a bit tired. They're putting their health, wellness, livelihood, financial stability or financial success on the line over food and behaviors that need to be changed. I don't think I'm being that harsh about it. But when you look at our children are developing non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, they are developing diabetes and heart disease and kidney damage decades earlier than grandma did, you have to look and say, this is a serious problem and needs our attention. It's as simple as that. So in this little preamble before the broadcast and you get to hear the show in its entirety, you have to look and take inventory. Take stock of yourself. Number one, are you overweight or obese? Number two, do you have diabetes, type 2 diabetes, or have you been told you have pre-diabetes? Or as I like to say in my book, Eating Yourself Sick, a touch of diabetes. That is a farce to be told you have a touch of diabetes. You either have it or you don't. Do you have high cholesterol or high triglycerides? Do you have hypertension? Do you have a low thyroid, low functioning thyroid? These are elements of what's called metabolic syndrome. And these are the elements that put you at risk for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, chronic liver disease, cirrhosis, liver cancer, and a whole slew of complications. So the more of these metabolic syndrome components you have, the worse things are. Keep in mind, obesity can be turned around. Type 2 diabetes can be turned around in most circumstances. Hyperlipidemia, high cholesterol, high triglycerides can be turned around. You don't necessarily need to be on a fistful of medicines. Okay? So this is a disease of lifestyle. We are killing ourselves. We're creating such chaos in our body that... Those of us in liver disease that see this every day, like myself and Dr. Lowitz, we just simply cannot sit back and let things happen, all right? So with that said, on with the podcast. Dr. Lowitz is an awesome physician, researcher, and caretaker, and of course, if you have any questions, do reach out, and we'll put you in touch with Dr. Lowitz or ourselves, to participate in our research studies. Thanks very much for listening. Take action. This is Your Health First, the most beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galotti. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galotti. Well, another good Sunday evening to everybody. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We're here every single Sunday. Hurricane, tropical storm, whatever you throw at us, I will be here at our flagship station, 740 KTRH, broadcasting globally on the iHeartRadio app. This is your health first. We're here to make you better consumers of healthcare. Very, very simple idea: making you better consumers of healthcare. To learn more about our program and what we all do, drjogallati.com. Drjogallati.com. That's where you could connect with all of our social media: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And uh, for tonight. What I've decided is that we are going to dedicate the entire hour, this week's program, to a single topic. We usually don't do that. We usually have two or three topics that we chat about. But tonight, big topic, and it's not coronavirus. It is something called fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And we're going to get right to it. I have... On the line, Dr. Eric Lowitz, a colleague and friend, fellow hepatologist. He's the medical director of the Texas Liver Institute just down the road in San Antonio, clinical professor of medicine at UT San Antonio. Dr. Eric Lowitz, welcome to the program again. How are you tonight?
1: I'm wonderful Joe, thanks for the kind invitation. I'm excited to talk to you about fatty liver tonight.
0: Oh, absolutely. If there's anybody that knows a thing or two about fatty liver, it is you. So, really to to get right into it. What what really is the big deal about fatty liver disease? And 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 again, I think the listeners tonight have probably heard me talk about it in the past. They may have heard it in the uh, you know, on the internet and and television and radio, but coming from your perspective, what is the big deal?
1: Yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, unfortunately, we a lot of people have not paid too much attention to fatty liver over the years, but it's an emerging cause of liver disease, and in fact, is now the number one indication for liver transplant today. Uh, It's interesting, you know, Joe, because fatty liver is a fairly silent disease. A lot of people kind of brush it away and say, oh, do you just have a little fatty liver? It's not going to hurt you. But it's important to remember that fatty liver is a progressive liver disease. And and there's uh, what we like to think of as a spectrum of disease or a range of disease. And the reason it's so complicated, even for some doctors, is because sometimes fatty liver can actually sit there and just, present with fat in the liver without any troubles whereas in other people it leads to progressive liver disease ultimately resulting in cirrhosis and complications of cirrhosis like liver cancer and you bet. liver failure.
0: Yeah, and and when you look at the numbers, I'd like to say the numbers are sobering to say the least. About 100 million people have fatty liver. That that is no small potatoes. Oh,
1: no, that, that's a uh, that's a very high number and Uh, A big portion of those, probably 20 to 25 percent, are going to develop progressive liver disease and be at risk for complications of liver disease later in life. Luckily, it's a relatively slow process going from inflammation to scarring, scarring which we call fibrosis, which ultimately can become cirrhosis. It's a slow process, so it gives us a lot of time to identify it. A lot of the patients I see who come in with cirrhosis from, from fatty liver ask, why why haven't anybody paid attention to it over the last 10 or 10 years? I've had an elevated ALT for a long time, but no one's really paid much attention to it. Um, you know, the ALT, everybody knows that, Joe, everybody knows their cholesterol, right? That's she right. They not know what their cholesterol is. But does anybody know what their ALT is? And I, I wonder if your listeners even are familiar with that term.
0: No, I think, and that that probably is a, a separate episode for you and I to talk about. You you're right. People know their cholesterol, they know their hemoglobin A1C, they know all these other parameters, but the ALT, the letter's ALT. I would probably say 75% of listeners or adults really don't even know what that is. So if you don't even know what it is, how the heck can you really get interested and and track it? You know, the other thing is you and I have both mentioned the word cirrhosis a few times, and there is this, con- this sort of misunderstanding that only alcoholics are going to get cirrhosis. And so when we talk to our patients about there may be the opportunity for cirrhosis, they almost cut you off and say, look, I haven't consumed alcohol in 30 years. What, what do you say to that tonight?
1: Yeah, no, uh, you're exactly right. All my patients say the same thing. How could I have cirrhosis? I never drank in my life. And I remind people there's 14 or 15 causes of cirrhosis, and only one of them is alcohol. Most people think 14 of the 15 reasons are alcohol, but it's actually only one of the 14 reasons for cirrhosis. And we talked about the common pathway of liver disease, no matter if it's alcohol Fatty liver, or other, any hepat, viral hepatitis, or any of these causes—they all have a common pathway leading inflammation. Inflammation leads to scarring, and that scarring we call fibrosis. And that scarring or fibrosis progresses over the years until the architecture gets disrupted, and that's what we call cirrhosis. And the, every and many people know the word cirrhosis. Most people know they don't want to have cirrhosis. Right? That's right. Because that that implies. Um, medical unhealth and potentially need for liver transplant, cancer, or or people, many people have family members that have died of cirrhosis. So the word cirrhosis is scary to people. And the good news, though, is we have time to intervene. The liver, you know, Joe, as we both know, is one of the most resilient organs in the body. It has the ability to repair itself. So if we can get rid of the cause of inflammation like fatty liver, The liver can actually melt this scar tissue away. It's an amazing organ. And, of course, it's my favorite organ. I'm biased because that's what I do every day. But it is an amazing organ in that you can melt that scar tissue away, and the liver can actually go back to a state of liver health if you keep the inflammation away for a long enough time.
0: Exactly. Last question before we take a quick break here. Why do you think the liver is misunderstood and underappreciated by the public again. Uh, not that I am envious of uh, heart disease and lung disease and cancer that gets a lot of public attention. The liver is sort of a second citizen with regard to diseases and 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 sort of respect in a sense. What because I, without a doubt, you and I and many of our colleagues are very passionate about uh, awareness. What What do you think in the last minute or so here, and we could pick it up after the break. Why is it sort of like a second-class organ citizen?
1: Because the liver has no pain fibers. So what do get people's attention? Things that hurt. You bump your elbows, your elbow's inflamed, your elbow gets much more attention than your liver because the liver has no pain fibers, and you get progressive inflammation over a long period of time leading to complications of liver disease. If the liver hurts, It would be a much more respected organ, but because it has no pain fibers, we need everybody to be vigilant.
0: Exactly. All right. Eric, I'm going to put you on hold for a second, and we will be back talking with Dr. Eric Lowitz, Texas Liver Institute in San Antonio. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. You are tuned into Your Health First, dedicating ourselves to fatty liver disease tonight. Coming up a little later, Helen Yuan, registered dietitian. We're going to talk about the food aspects of fatty liver. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati. This is Your Health First, and that is exactly what we are trying to do tonight. Make you all think of your health, put it first. And be educated consumers. Dr. is our website. And uh, on the phone, Dr. Eric Lowitz, a world-renowned liver specialist. We are talking about fatty liver. And, Eric, thanks for coming on tonight. Now, you know, we could talk all night long about fatty liver, but the key thing is the people listening tonight, who are looking at themselves, they're looking at the person next to them in their car, co-workers, family members. What are the risk factors for developing fatty liver? And I and I believe that is the nidus of trying to get our arms around this.
1: Sure, Jill. Yeah, it's very important. To, when you think about non-alcoholic fatty liver, so fatty liver comes in two, two forms, right? So there is alcohol-related fatty liver, which is which is no surprise what that's from. It's the non-alcoholic fatty liver that people are always surprised. How can I have this when I don't mm-hmm. drink? But there's a whole spectrum of disease here that's related to the risk factors, primarily related to what we would call the metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is a, is a combination of things um, like high, high, abnormal cholesterol, high blood pressure, insulin resistance, or diabetes. Um, and then you add uh, more pounds than you would want, um, unfortunately, everything's been supersized uh, in this mm-hmm. country. You can buy 72, uh, 72-ounce 72 cokes and extremely large servings everywhere, and ultimately it's leading to an epidemic of increased weight, and that increased weight is the big driver for fatty liver. It puts, obviously, fat in other places, but it also puts it in the liver, which can lead to progressive liver disease. So the top two factor risk factors are probably an extra pound that you didn't want, um, or a few extra pounds. And diabetes; those are really, if you would narrow it down to the top two risk factors, those are the those are the primary risk factors. And you need add a little high cholesterol and um, and hypertension in there, and you're really uh, setting yourself up for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease.
0: Now, when you when you look at that, I would I would think that everybody tuning in tonight took a deep gasp because they're probably saying, "Look, I'm 55, 60 years old." Um, 10 pounds overweight. The doctor told me I had a touch of diabetes, but it wasn't bad enough, and I'm not on any medicine. And, uh, you know, the cholesterol borderline, maybe next time I go back, I'm going to be on a statin. So I'm on no medicine. The doctor has not made much of a fuss. Why is it that you and I, from our perspective as, as liver doctors, are saying, no, you really need to— take this seriously. What would you say the next step might be for for those that are sitting there with those risk factors?
1: Yeah, we have to get control of the risk factors. The best therapy, although we're working on numerous new medications in this field, the best therapy is still the same that exercise, keeping the weight down and controlling insulin resistance and cholesterol and kind of keeping the shift in order, as they say. So, Um, just as you can't be a little pregnant, you can't have a a little diabetes or a little fatty liver. Right. You either have it or you don't, and if you have it, it's in your best interest for your future health uh, over the years to get these things under control and really be aggressive about your health.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, you you, you have uh, made a name for yourself in— uh, in clinical research in liver disease, and certainly fatty liver, you are a thought leader and leading the charge on new medications that are that are being developed. Talk about some of the programs, and uh, we are collaborating in Houston uh, about some of the research studies that may be available.
1: Yeah, there's a, it's an amazing. Uh spectrum of medications that are in clinical development right now, we still don't have anything FDA approved that your doctor can write a prescription for directly to, directly to treat fatty liver, but currently there's numerous medications, including seven in the Phase 3 trials. Phase three trials are the last step before FDA consideration for approval and generally have suggested that they've been successful in their first few phases of the development and thus um, have the opportunity to actually be prescribable in three to five years. Um, there's, an, there's a few mechanisms of action that try to counteract fatty liver by either doing one of three things, really either decreasing fat in the liver, mm-hmm. decreasing inflammation in the liver, or decreasing fibrosis. And right. all these new medications are really focused either on one or one of the three of those mechanisms. And uh, and thus far, there's, there's some encouraging results that I've presented uh, nationally internationally, and internationally, as with many others.
0: Yeah, no, this is, I, I, I think this is a very exciting time. So really, the the, the message here, and what do you say to the listeners and maybe friends or relatives of, of the listeners that two years ago, five years ago, they were told somewhat casually, oh, you know, we did all your testing and you have a fatty liver. Now what do they do? Nothing has specifically been done other than a recommendation to lose weight and you know, things like that, but nothing really definitive. They have not really been sat down to explain the potential long-term complications. For, so for them that already have a diagnosis of fatty liver, what, what do you say to them tonight?
1: Yeah, I think you have to be uh, proactive for your own health. No one's going to look after your health better than yourself. And think about these things that are that you that are potentially causing problems down the road. So diet, insulin resistance or diabetes, the extra pounds, uh, high cholesterol, um, and really be proactive and and really get these uh, medical conditions under control. Um, it's, there's many complications of diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Not only fatty liver, but cardiovascular disease, yes. uh, stroke, heart attacks, and so not only for the benefit of your liver, which is what I'm focused on and what I do, what I love to do and see people's livers get better, which we fix livers every day, and it's exciting to do it. But it's also good for all the organs in your body to get control of these comorbidities, these metabolic problems, uh, get high cholesterol, diabetes, um, and uh, and diet and exercise. I know we talk about it a lot. It's hard to do. It's easy to say, hard to do, but ultimately that's the best medicine in the world for not only fatty liver, but many other
0: diseases, Joe. Sure, and we are doing studies in San Antonio and in Houston, and I would say the easiest thing for right now for those listening, you could uh, certainly check out Dr. Lowitz at the Texas Liver Institute. We'll uh, leave his website, and also by going to drjogalati.com, you could send us a message and even just say, I think I've had fatty liver or I haven't been evaluated in, in, a, in a while, uh, I'm thinking one of our teams would be able to reach out and determine if you need to be considered for therapy or even for a study. What what do you think on that, uh, Eric?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. For people that have been unsuccessful and, and are at risk or have progressive liver disease, there's no better time than today to get involved in clinical trials and, and get what I like to call tomorrow's therapies today. Um, Under the auspices of clinical trials, you can get access to really innovative tip-of-the-sword medications that uh, that are making differences in people's lives. Obviously, we uh, have to collect the data and report the outcomes, but if some of these trials continue the way they're going, uh, we would hope that some of these agents will be uh, prescribable in the next number of years.
0: All right, Eric, we will get you back. This problem, as you know, is not going away, and there's a lot of work for all of us to do.
1: Uh, yes, we'll, we'll be after it. We're all working hard, and uh, we're all about uh, enhancing people's liver's health.
0: All right, Eric Lowitz, thank you so much for coming on. I will post information on Dr. Lowitz and how to participate in the studies we are conducting. All right, coming up, Dr. Um Lowitz. And now we've got Helen Yuan coming up in just a few minutes talking about food and nutrition. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We will be right back. Rocking along on Sunday evening. I'm Dr. Joe Galati with Your Health First. Don't forget DrJoeGalati.com. We're here every Sunday. And if you're traveling, you could always pick us up on the iHeartRadio app anywhere. And I know for a fact, my dear friend John Gearlings is tuning in on Long Island, a faithful listener from high school. You know, you have to, you know, for everybody that is in high school now or just out of high school, the relationships you have when you're 16 and 17, they are important, and they stick and carry you an entire lifetime. And so here we are, years and years later, and friends are supporting me, we're supporting each other by tuning in to this radio program. All right, so every Sunday between 7 and 8, we are so glad you are tuning in. And the feedback we get is important to us. So go to drjogallati.com. Sign up for our newsletter and send me a message. All right, so you heard from Dr. Eric Lawitz, a fellow hepatologist, liver specialist, talking about non alcoholic fatty liver disease, the risk factors including obesity, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, and that fatty liver has the potential to lead to cirrhosis, which is scarring of the liver liver cancer, liver failure, and the possible need for transplant. He and I and others are working on new therapies, which is incredibly exciting, but at the more basic level, your nutrition. And that is why we are calling on Helen Yuan, our registered dietitian at our practice, liver specialist of Texas. Helen, thank you so much for coming on tonight.
2: Hi, good evening. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Helen, it is always a pleasure getting your input in everything we do when it comes to food and nutrition. And so you heard what Dr. Lowitz has said. You are fully at work with us. You are fully immersed in evaluating and managing our patients with fatty liver disease. And and you see the entire spectrum from mild disease to moderate disease to those that have more advanced liver disease. Mm-hmm. But in in your conversations and your experience with all of these patients what would you say and this is really to target the folks listening tonight what are the two or three most common misunderstandings regarding food and nutrition what what are you hearing from from the public
2: Absolutely so the number one misconception that i hear all the time not only from you know, our clients that come and see me, but even with, you know, a lot of marketing and even some health providers out there is that the only thing that matters for weight loss is calories in versus calories out. And that is something that, you know, I work pretty hard to debunk because I do see so many clients that eat well below their body's calorie needs, but then they don't lose weight. And this is something that I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there can relate to, and it's super frustrating, but that's really just how the human body is. It's not all about how much you eat. It's mainly about what you eat and also to an extent when
0: you eat. Now, now expand that a little bit more because a lot of people are probably shaking their heads and saying, man, I've got to lose weight. I've gained 35 pounds over the last 10 years, and and I am now being told to eat more. Is that a fair interpretation of what you just said?
2: It kind of depends on the person. Some people may unknowingly actually be eating way more than their bodies need. And for them, I would say, no, that's not exactly the case. I would say we would always want to direct our attention to the kinds of foods that we're eating and um, focus on that first and really just making sure that they're things that have a lot of nutrient density and provide all of the nutrients that our body needs to function.
0: Right. So give an example on what you may actually do with a patient if they are um, wanting to lose weight but they're not consuming enough calories.
2: Absolutely. So the first thing that I always do with our patients is I ask them a lot of questions so I can get an idea of what their typical eating patterns look like, what a snapshot of their day is, so that I can see what kind of foods they're eating, what's their meal schedule, how physically active are they, um, how big of a portion in general do they have some of these different foods in. And then based on all of that information, I can get an idea of ballpark, how many calories they're having, how much of that is coming from their proteins, their carbohydrates, their fats and what quality of nutrients they're getting. Are they, um, you know, omega-3 fats? Or are they pro-inflammatory? Are they from high fiber starches and fruits or are they from refined sugars? And we kind of cater it and tweak it to optimize their overall eating patterns here and there so that we can make it better than it currently is and get them on the right path.
0: When, when you have that conversation, does it mm-hmm. sink in right away? or is it a not so much, it is, is it a tough sell, but is it something <laughs> that you need to, at the next visit, remind them again or reorient them? Because I would think a lot of people, and this is so ingrained in our culture. Mm-hmm. this is this is a cultural problem, I believe, that it is starvation is the way to losing weight. And and I'm obese because I eat too much, and so the opposite mm-hmm. is starvation. Is, is that yes. true?
2: Yes, I see that so much, and it, it's so painful for me to hear whenever people are in that mentality because they're really miserable thinking that they are trying their best, but for some reason it's just not enough, and they kind of feel at a loss of what to do. So yes, I do see, even at follow-ups, even after having this conversation with them, you know, it's very hard to sort of untrain that thinking of, I just have to have less. I just have to have less, and then I'll reach that weight goal that I'm working towards.
0: Exactly. All right. Well, that that is a big misunderstanding. You've got one or two more. What else do you have?
2: <laughs> All right. Another one is um, whenever they come in and tell me, you know, I knew I was going to have to see the dietitian today, so I went out and had the most delicious meal that I could think of because I knew I would have to give that up after talking to you. Ugh. So eating healthy does not mean never enjoying your favorite foods ever again. right? Um, you know there as long as you're making an effort to choose those healthier alternatives, and I work with our patients on that in figuring out what healthier foods are compared to what some of these less healthy foods are that tend to be a staple in their diet and just substituting them in so that the unhealthy ones don't show up so frequently during their day or during their week. And then, you know, as long as they're making that effort of having those healthier substitutions more often, they're still able to enjoy, you know, that occasional cookie or that ice cream or, you know, the potato chips that they might be craving whenever they're craving them. But just having less of them less often in smaller portions helps them to sort of rewire their brain so that they're not constantly um, trying to get that all the time. It's sort of like a drug addiction or alcohol addiction, the way that those types of highly processed foods respond in our dopamine receptors in our brains.
0: Well, you know, I, I, I think that for, for patients and our, our, our customers and our consumers, they have mm-hmm. this attitude with food that if they're seeing you, that it's it's a punishment, and it's almost <laughs> as if it is their last meal before going to the gallows and <laughs> let's, you know, steak and lobster and potatoes and all the fat and cookies you could eat. But, it mm-hmm. you know, we're not sending people off to some kind of food prison. Uh, that is your point, that you can still eat flavorable food, foods that you like, the occasional, if you want to call it a treat, That there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to suffer to eat well.
2: Absolutely, that's one hundred percent accurate.
0: Yeah. So, Helen, you are not making people suffer. You are a friendly person, (laughs) and you will tell them before you freak out. You gotta have a donut every once in a while. I don't know about a donut. (laughs) Don't don't take me uh, for verbatim. How about the third one? Do you have a third um, thing that you hear all the time?
2: Yes, I do have a third one, and that's that um, idea that high-fat foods are bad, low-fat foods are good. We mm. gotta try to avoid fat at all costs. So that's a that's an idea that's been around for several decades now, but we're starting to learn, you know, in in research and nutrition in health that not all fats are created equal. Some right. fats, like omega threes, are very protective for our health. And additionally, a lot of these low-fat Foods, low-fat desserts, low-fat um, beverages, and options like that—they are actually very high in added sugars. Those right, sugars, not technically a fat, and those processed and refined sugars and starches are the real key drivers behind obesity, fatty liver, diabetes, and other conditions that stem from that metabolic dysregulation.
0: Right, right. It's um, it is challenging to say the least. Um, to, to get this. And, and I believe that so many of, of our listeners and our patients, they just come in misunder, misinformed. They want to do the right thing, but mm-hmm. they just have been listening to the wrong tune for a little bit too long.
2: Yes, I completely agree. And that wellness-slash-diet-slash-weight-loss industry, they know exactly what to tap into. They know that people want, you know, quick and easy answers to these nutrition questions because, you know, it's a lot to have to think about. And in reality, the human body and how it responds to food is far more complex than these oversimplified misconceptions that people um, are led to believe.
0: Absolutely. Helen, I'm going to ask a big favor. There was so much mm-hmm. more to talk about. I know I promised you only one segment tonight. Can you hang mm-hmm. on a few more minutes? Of course. Okay, we're going to put Helen on hold. Helen Yuan is our registered dietitian with Liver Specialists of Texas, and I am honored to work with her every day, and our patients benefit greatly from seeing her. So, what we're going to do? We're going to take a final break. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. I am Dr. Joe Galati. This is your health first every Sunday between seven and eight p.m. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> final segment I'm Dr. Joe Galati this is your health first we're dedicating this week's program to fatty liver disease and I would say outside of COVID-19 and all the attention that that rightfully has generated non-alcoholic fatty liver disease I believe is one of the top public health threats 100 million people have fatty liver disease, and for many, you have not heard a whisper about fatty liver disease. 100 million people in the U.S., and many of these will progress to cirrhosis, liver cancer, liver failure, shortened lifespan, not only the liver problems, but with the diabetes, heart disease, heart attack, stroke, increased risk of cancer, kidney disease, ending up on dialysis, the the nidus of this, the origin, is obesity and what we are eating or what we are not eating. And thus, um, happy to bring back Helen Yuan, our registered dietitian, a fan favorite, I must say, (laughs) with everybody on Your Health First and and at the Office Liver Specialist of Texas. Okay, so Helen... um, the the one question I've got for you, and and you sort of eluded to it, where do you think this misinformation is coming from? On what to wow. eat and how to lose weight, and eating fat-free brownies is good for you somehow. Where where is this all coming from?
2: Yeah, well, like I had mentioned, that whole wellness diet, weight loss, even just the food industry itself—they know there is a lot of money to be made in marketing all of these different products for people who are trying to lose weight. So um, I think a lot of it is just coming from what's ending up on our commercials, what's ending up on that um, targeted advertising on social media. Sure. People hear different things from others um, who have heard it from you know further down the grapevine. Um, so it spreads like wildfire because there's always some hot new topic or hot new fad.
0: Yes, and people uh, see the shiny objects and they go after the new fad and they want to be part of the uh, the, the crowd. Now, mm-hmm. I, I asked you at first to name three things that people are saying to you and, and where they're sort of derailed, but really the, mm-hmm. the basis of this program is I always like to say that this is a a program that's going to give you actionable items, actionable information. So with that said, what would you say are the two or maybe three interventions that people listening tonight can almost immediately do something to change the course that they're on with regard to their type 2 diabetes, their obesity, their hypertension, their fatty liver? Where do we start with this?
2: Well, the first thing that I encourage everybody to do, and it's something that um, is maybe a little more simple than they may think, but it's just to be mindful about what they're eating, what they're putting in their bodies, be purposeful with it. Don't just eat without thinking about what it is. Pay attention to your food choices and what your thought processes are leading up to you making those decisions on what to eat. So as long as you start paying attention to that, it's something that you start noticing what those kind of triggers and those habits are.
0: You know, I, I, a week or so ago, it may have been two weeks ago, and I have a feeling you may have seen this young lady, delightful young lady, could be anybody, (laughs) could be any of our (laughs) listeners. And we were talking about, uh, food and who's at home and how many meals are prepared at home and take out. And there was a lot of takeout and ordering in. And mm-hmm. the, what she said to me, and and I think this represents what you said, I said, what about the nights that you're not cooking at home? And she said, well, Dr. Galati, we wing it. <laughs> and and I think when I heard that my heart sunk and I said, well, when we wing it, it's going to be the easiest fastest, maybe the cheapest thing, maybe the lowest in nutrition item that they're going to pick up, that is 180 degrees off of what you're trying to profess here.
2: Right. That's exactly right. But, you know, what I work with our clients on, and what I have probably started working on this client on, is making healthier choices the most convenient thing for people to wing it with. So even right. if we don't have a plan, even if we haven't meal prepped everything, just have it taking stock of what's in your kitchen, what's in your pantry, and trying to expand that selection of healthful, nutrient-dense foods, then when you become familiar with them and discover new ways to prepare them and combine them, then it's pretty easy to wing it, but not have to resort to the processed, pre-made, convenient foods that somebody else has decided to put together and it, sell and market.
0: It, exactly. And I would I would say that for you and me, if, if you and I are leaving work and it's 6 o'clock and we say, Helen, what are you going to have for dinner tonight? And you may say, oh, I'm going to wing it. But I know <laughs> that you have a vast array of vegetables and fruits and other concoctions that you can mix that it's going to be— a, a good meal. So for you winging it or for me winging it, it's different than what a lot of our patients are doing. So I think, I think that's a key point. Uh, in the last mm-hmm. 30 seconds or so, second <laughs> intervention that people could work on tonight.
2: Yes. Second one, just avoiding processed foods or just limiting them as much as you can. Um, things that come in a package, a container, things that come with those nutrition labels. And if you do end up buying things, because, you know, again, in a convenient, fast-paced world that we're living in these days, it's kind of unavoidable to have to resort to something that comes in a container or a package. At the very least, trying to look at that nutrition label, especially the list of ingredients and choosing things that don't have this enormous list of added sugars, added syrups, A lot of different oils, added preservatives, you name it.
0: All right. Helen, as always, thank you so much. Very informative. I will talk with you tomorrow morning at work.
2: Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again.
0: Thank you very much. All right. Well, that's it for tonight. Fatty liver, keep it on your mind. Eat well think about what you're eating, please. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. We'll see you next Sunday night. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao.